All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sells Podcast, the podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist about culture, dating, and relationships in the modern world. Today, we're talking about hustle culture, quiet quitting, and burnout. Very relevant. There's uh, an estimated 1 million Australians considering uh, leaving their corporate job in the next year or two. So a lot of ramifications there. But before we get into that, I'm going to mention the sponsors. You can skip to the three-minute mark if you'd like to skip that. So we're first sponsored by Comedy Untamed. Uh, This is a brilliant show, and I hear the manager of it is even more brilliant. And it runs weekly in Sydney and Melbourne every Thursday in Melbourne. It is at the Speakeasy Theatre, beautiful vaudeville theatre, just in the CBD of Melbourne in Sydney. It's at the Potts Point Hotel. It also happens every month in Newcastle. And I'm there most of the shows. I'm pretty funny. I like to think so. But uh, when I'm not there, you can be sure that the other comedians will make you wet with laughter. So go to comedyuntamed.com. We're also sponsored by Crush Organics. That's Crush with a K. They have a huge range of CBD oil products. Uh, If you are thinking of quiet quitting... You might be stressed and maybe you just need a bit of CBD oil. So go to crushorganics.com. Use the code Neil, N-E-E-L, and you'll get 40% off. That's nearly half. So crushorganics.com. They've even got CBD oil for your pets. So use the code Neil, crushorganics.com. If you are a subscriber uh, to this podcast, uh, most likely by the end of February, I will be altering the subscription model into a one-off cost model where if you'd like to send in a question, a topic, or a shout-out, you just pay a one-off cost rather than a subscription. But if you have been subscribed for more than one year, send in another question or topic or shout-out because every year that renews and you get another question. So go ahead and do that. Go to neilcolhatka.com slash podcasts. All right, I finished a bit before the three-minute mark, so I've got to kill 35 seconds. You can also check out my special. I released it just recently on YouTube. I released two, actually, youtube.com slash Neil K. It's just a full stand-up show that is filmed. So, yeah, one in Newcastle. You can go go see that. It's called Automated and uh, also released an improv special with my boy Daniel. Uh, follow Eliza on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram, TikTok. All, I'm all over the place. I'm on all the social media platforms. All right, let's get into it. All right. Eliza, how you doing? I'm feeling good, feeling happy. Yeah, and- a bit underslept. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, a little bit delirious too. Um, I haven't slept in like three days, literally no more than an hour straight. So oh. bear with me if I get a little bit frazzled. Um, so so when new parents say uh, you, you're just not going to get any sleep, like, what sort of lack of sleep are we talking about? Do you? So you actually are just sleeping an hour at a time? Are you not even getting like four or five hours a night? What is it, yeah, what is it actually so- like? There's, every baby has different sleep needs. Like my friend's baby, she, he naps two hours straight during the day. Like every nap is two hours and then he'll sleep all the way basically overnight, maybe wake up once. My baby sleeps 20 minutes during the day each nap and overnight he'll sleep maybe two hours from 7 p.m. or three hours from 7 p.m. And then like clockwork every hour or so afterwards he wakes up until 6 a.m <laughs> um, but he's four months old and they go through a sleep regression at that age so 
you never know if it's going to be like a permanent change or if it's temporary change although he's kind of been like that since birth so yeah so yeah wow that's uh that's rough (laughs) um do you find yourself getting back to bed quickly or do you then stay awake or what's the and i always say to pregnant people that listen to this don't get depressed because newborn tired to me is nothing compared to pregnancy tired like pregnancy tired is traumatizing it was so i was exhausting newborn tired it's fine in comparison i think oh really yeah i mean i'm sure i'll touch base with me in like another four months (laughs) we'll see how it goes but yeah, it's, it's just different. It's it's very different um, when you're pregnant and tired compared to having a newborn baby and, and tired. It's To me, it was so different. At least there's a little reward. Like when he wakes up, it's he doesn't wake up crying. He just tosses and turns. So I, we, he sleeps in our room. You're supposed to, it's recommended to have a baby sleep in your room for six to 12 months um, when they're first born. So he's got a little bassinet and he just, he lifts his legs up and slams them against the mattress like repeatedly until we get him but when we go to get him we lean over and he's just smiling in the dark he just wants a little cuddle a little rock back to sleep and then pop him down so it's kind of like nice it's it usually takes about 10 minutes and then i fall back asleep so it's not it's not too terrible but um it is hard like when just as you're getting into a deep sleep he starts again (laughs) and adrian's just like pretty useless at getting him back to sleep because a lot of time he wants to breastfeed um during the night there's not much age you can do for that right. so yeah okay do you yeah, so... did you have any other i suppose any other plans or things you wanted to do um while you had a newborn or was it just your primary focus was caring for for remy and, and nothing else really mattered for the first like three months i literally had no sense of identity like i couldn't i could barely like it or maybe even two months maybe i'll say because i if i put him out in the pram he would cry and then if i did things with him he'd get stressed and then their wake windows are so small if you miss the 45 minutes for the first few weeks they get overtired it's crazy so i just did nothing and all i was was literally a human cow feeding a baby calf but now that he can stay awake for two hours at a time now which is nice um we and he loves he loves the pram so he's much happier being awake and just hanging out so i do feel like i've gotten getting back to myself a little bit and i can leave him with adrian or my mom or whatever okay um, long periods of time which is good and i'm you know socializing we've gone down to sydney a couple times i went down new on christmas eve was the first time i'd been to sydney in like seven months which okay. is so weird. Um, How did so he yeah, go with yeah. um, all of the people? <laughs> um, he was good. Um, he's he's a really happy, easygoing baby. He's a shitty sleeper, but very easy baby. So we're lucky in that sense. So he was pretty like, we did a friend miss first and went to my friend's house. All my friends were there and he was getting passed around like a little Christmas turkey. Um, everyone was having a little play and cuddle with him. And then did we he like that or was place. he... Yeah, he's fine. And then he went to his friend, uh, we went to his family's place and same thing. Everyone was cuddling him and holding him. But then on the car ride home, he screamed like the whole way from Sydney to the Central Coast because uh, he was just over, he was overstimulated, overtired. It was a big day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad, thankfully. Okay. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of wins with the losses. 
Um, but thankfully, like you can, it's so interesting, like having a baby. And I think so much about the biology of it and the psychology and like how, you know, when babies are so they're so cute. Like to me, I think Remy is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Like I've never laid eyes on anything cuter. So anytime he cries or is distressed or waking me up constantly i just think oh he's so cute my little baby like nothing it doesn't bother me and when um when he i gave birth to him and we were in the hospital and before we gave birth and we were showing adrian videos of what newborns look like and i was like newborns are kind of ugly like they're you know they're not they're cute but they're kind of ugly they're like little aliens right and then when i gave birth i was like oh my God, I have literally just given birth to the the best looking baby I've ever seen. And we were fully expecting and understanding that he'll be a little bit ugly for the first couple of months. But I was like, no, this is the, the best looking baby I've ever laid my eyes on. And I was telling the nurses like, have you guys ever seen a baby this cute? Like genuinely be honest. Like, is he not the cutest thing? And then anyway, we look back on photos now, <laughs> four months later, and we're like, oh, he actually was a little bit ugly, like a little bit alien looking. <laughs> we're just so uh, blinded with love. So I understand it now because I always see moms post their photos of like a newborn being like, tell me your baby's not the cutest thing you've ever seen. And we'd be like, well, what the fuck are they seeing? <laughs> I get it now. I did it. I cringed so much. I can't believe I said it to the midwives. Like, oh, yeah, so I, cringe. I think you're allowed to uh, not be objective in um, <laughs> deciding the cuteness of your baby. So, <laughs> yeah, and that's fair. That's fair enough. All right. Well, you're, you're soldiering on. Sounds like uh, yeah. slowly getting into a good sleep period. Um, not much. Just uh, kind of started work as normal now. And um, Alpha, um, we're recording this on the 8th of January and our first show back is the 12th so prepping for yeah, that and um good. just trying to get into a good routine and get a plan is it in for sydney, the... your first one yeah yeah so yeah, i'll, I'll mainly be doing the sydney ones and then every four or five mm. weeks probably fly down to melbourne and do that one and should be fun it should be oh, it should good. be good just just posting on social media just just the usual nothing nothing really different just trying to uh yeah. traverse all the different algorithms and you know nothing as wholesome as what you're experiencing right now just just life and uh speaking of uh work and and life let's talk about burnout and hustle culture and quiet quitting now they're all sort of related i uh i read an article a couple of months ago now saying that uh it's estimated some somewhere up to a million australians are considering leaving their full-time job either for a less stressful job for uh, to to move outside of a major city just for more of a work-life balance and that's going to be a big shock to the economy over the next year or two so i mean i'm not in a normal job obviously and i tend to just work for myself but all of my friends who are in their late 20s uh have been talking to me about how volatile the COVID period was for a lot of their uh, mostly white collar corporate kind of jobs. And then how in at the end of 2021, there was a big demand for, for staff and everyone could actually negotiate a good kind of rate and get good pay. And then suddenly in 2022, that, that just switched. And sorry, it might've been the other way around there that um, it was hard to get shifts. And then suddenly people are looking for workers because there's been an exodus that's already starting to occur. And my friend Daniel works in uh, AV um, tech. So he sets up a lot of uh, 
lighting and, and cameras and um, sound for big corporate events. And he was saying that, you know, the, the usual salary for something like that is often about, you know, for, for someone in their 20s, it's like 70K, a full-time salary. And then right. they're offering positions for a, a hundred just because there's no one that wants to do it. But he sort of knows that if you take that, they're going to ask a lot of you and then they're going to yeah. expect a crazy amount of hours and he, you know a lot of people don't want to do it and that's why the 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 mm. the um offer is so high and it's pretty interesting these are all kind of macroeconomic trends that um have mm. really hit people post pandemic another thing is just cultural factors also uh mainly influenced by the pandemic as as people had a lockdown and spent more time with their maybe their friends or their housemates or or their family or or were just alone for a couple of months and it really made them think about the priorities in their life and whether or not they uh, want to be in a, well, let's be honest, it's never an actual eight-hour-a-day job. It always becomes, you know, you get there at eight and then you finish at six and then it becomes often more than that anyway. So you're not exactly doing a nine-to-five anyway and, and you hardly have any time for yourself. You pretty much get home, you probably just watch something and go to bed. And and if you have time, you go to the gym. And I mean, uh, some of my friends at work in like finance or, or banking, I don't even know how they manage to go to the, the gym. A lot of them are just, yeah. yeah, wake up and grind types that'll literally wake up at 4.30 or 5 or something. And I'm, I mean, look, I, I think your fiance does that. So uh, it's mm-hmm. maybe normal for a lot of people, but for me, I'm like, that's crazy early. And, yeah. um, that's, it's also impressive, um, that if, if you can sustain that for a long period of time. So, uh, yeah, that's the broad overview of where millennials, mostly like younger millennials and mostly middle-class urban younger millennials seem to be at in terms of, uh, particularly white collar careers. Have you noticed anything similar among your friend or peer group every single person i know is looking for an alternative job or wanting to leave their industry every so single like, one especially wow. with COVID, every single person i'm not even joking a lot of my friends majority of my friends work in a similar industry to me social work psychology those kind of things um basically everyone is looking for an alternative job or wanting to leave the industry altogether um, and I think when it comes to this kind of industry, the reason is that one, we're dealing with the burnout and the impact that COVID had on the workplace, which was really, you know, disruptive, d- disruptive, Freudian slipped, I meant to say disruptive, but there you go, um, to work dynamics, there was a lot more work, uh, workload increase, hours got blurred, working from home was was really hard for a lot of people. And also like you're dealing with your own changes to COVID, but then, um, and you know, the world and things like that. But then as working with people and working within community, also carrying other people's, um, the impact that it had on them. Um, so a lot of emotional baggage that came with that. So a lot of people I know are just saying, I can't do it anymore. Like they've burnt out a year ago. They're holding on by a thread, quite quitting all these things, wanting to leave. Um, there's definitely appeal to going regional, which, you know, I can't talk anything about because I literally did that. Although I will say, my plan was always to come to the Central Coast. I've had a beach house here since I was four. So, but I, I only say that because every time I meet someone that lives on the Central Coast, 
and I say I moved here from Sydney they eye roll because literally everyone half the Central Coast now is people that lived here, moved here from Sydney well they've made and, um, they've made all their properties go up at, like double in value so if they owned a house there in the Central Coast crazy. they shouldn't be complaining well I we purchased our house for about almost 200,000 more than what it was worth. Oh, that's now, right. Yeah. Now it's decreased in value <laughs> from what we bought it from. Yeah, it's gone down quite a bit. The, so the house prices are a big thing that well I'll, we'll get to that soon because I think that also yeah. ties into this this mostly millennial kind of phenomenon, but I we should we should say for, if you don't know what quiet quitting is, it's it's essentially you're not at formally quitting, but you're doing as as little as you possibly can. You know, you get there the latest you possibly need to get there. You don't go above and beyond for the company. You essentially are just the worst possible worker you can be whilst still doing your job. And in some of these huge corporations, it barely makes a difference. It's only really like the manager above you that might notice it. And a large part of it is also that, you know, there's all these spiels about what this particular company represents and 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 now so many PR campaigns are about how ethical the company is when meanwhile their workers are all treated like yeah. modern slaves mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. doesn't sound very ethical. So uh, mm -hmm. there's a bit of hypocrisy going on there and there's just uh, the, the, the mechanics of how these structures are organized mm -hmm. haven't properly adapted to these changing work conditions and it just sounds like a mess. I mean, I got uh, my my um, girlfriend's friends. Uh, a lot of them uh, are also have just gone from job to job in the last year or two, mm. and haven't mm. really settled on anything that they like. And and look, the other uh, narrative, mostly um, from older people, is that what millennials and Gen Z just aren't willing to put in the work and are lazy and entitled and, and look maybe there's a certain truth to that but at the mm -hmm. same time i think the working conditions have actually worsened from uh mm -hmm. even just 20 30 40 years ago sure compared to 1922 working conditions are unbelievably better <laughs> but uh compared yeah. to just uh a couple of decades ago whether the conditions might be different the the you know real wages have outpaced uh the growth of of wealth and assets uh, sorry, sorry, asset growth has outpaced real wages massively and mm -hmm. people can't afford, uh, well, first of all, just cost of living has gone up a lot. And mm. I mean, I'm sure your um, Adrian has had to deal with the fuel costs being a tradie, mm. especially in the central coast doing jobs in Sydney. The, the dad mm. adds up to like, I got a friend who mm. also did the same thing you guys did, moved to the central coast. And, and for anyone not from Sydney, central coast is like, what an hour and a half from Sydney it's yeah. a sort of satellite yeah. city and and um my friend um very similar to you uh his wife's pregnant and they they moved up and the the fuel costs are killing him because he he just has to commute that much more every single day and the margins yeah. are often so slim with a lot of this kind of work it's it's just yeah. a it's a killer so all these little added costs that that have all popped up in in 2022 have just hurt everyone, particularly people who are just trying to settle down or, or have just settled mm -hmm. down. They, you know, our age group is is the group that has uh, borne the brunt of this and it's not nice. It's just causing a lot more stress and you don't want to 
add any more stress to people who have just had a a baby or just starting a family. And a lot of people now are saying they're not even, they're not going to have kids because they can't afford it. Um, And having kids is so expensive. I think I I can't remember where I saw a stat. It was like by 2030, 40% of young people will say that they will not have had or will be stating they're not planning on having children, something like that, um, which is pretty massive. And I think the biggest, one of the impacts as well is the way that we move from online or in person to then being online and working from home. So people like that weren't doing that, like nurses and tradies and things like that during COVID, they were getting burnt out because they were saying, you know, people get to sit at home and rest and and heal and, you know, have some more time, not do that commute. It's so much nicer. Whereas then people from that were working from home, like I was working mostly from home for a period and it was really hard because I was expected to be on call 24-7. If I didn't pick up my phone, it would be like, um, oh, she's bludging. She must be watching TV. Or not that anyone ever actually said that. It was just this hidden expectation. So we'd be taking calls at 6 in the morning. I'd be taking calls at 10 o'clock at night. Um, there were safety issues, you know, I had to be on top of with my team. Massive differences. Like, And with um, everyone was using... Oh my god, my mind's gone blank. It's not Skype. What's the one that everyone uses Zoom. for work? No, not Zoom. Oh, uh, Microsoft, Microsoft Teams. Yeah, thank you. Everyone was using Teams, and it shows you when you're last active. So if someone was like hasn't been active for eleven minutes, it was a red flag because it's like you're working from home. And then I found that I would back when I worked in the office on the days I was in the office, I would have one or two meetings, and then I would be doing my admin work for five, six hours, right? And the days I work from home, I would have seven, eight, nine hours of back-to-back Teams meetings, constantly face-to-face or online, face-to-face talking where I got no work done. So then I'd have to even work more hours. And I was so excited to work from home initially. So what I'm trying to say is that either way, both teams were completely burnt out during the changes that happened to COVID. and there's pros and cons to both, of course, but it was a huge, huge development. Obviously, burn, burning out existed well before COVID did, but um, that was a massive step forward to make people understand and the reality of it and the impacts of it. I think people are starting to learn more about how that impacts you and the long-term impacts that it has on you as well. It's pretty scary and really uh, serious as well. So I think it's... Um, and then it comes into that other thing you're saying as well about the younger generation versus the older generation where now people are understanding the impacts of, of burning out and they're like, why am I sacrificing my psychological well-being and my physical health for a job that doesn't even care about me or care about my well-being? Um, and for what? I can't ever afford a house. I can't afford children. Like, what am I even working towards? What am I slaving towards? That's it. Whereas the older generation say, well, when I was your age, I worked really hard and this and that. And like, you got to stop quitting. You got to stop leaving jobs and I see you know both sides of it like in my role I'm a I'm a team leader so I hire a lot of people because the turnover rate in my industry is shocking like in my workplace not even just in my organization but in my industry the turnover rate is four months four to six months that's how people often people quit and you're working with clients so by the time you get to know a family or child you're too burnt out so you leave and do it all over again it has this you know there's a whole trickle down impact on it but sometimes even me being very much i'm the biggest advocate or i was before i've left obviously for mat leave 
for um, well-being within the organization. So I always organize the outings, the team bonding days. I do a lot of the well-being aspects in my job. But when I hired people and they came to me with, you know, boundaries and things like that and what they were expecting, I even part of me was like eye-rolling and thinking it's a red flag because they they are my team members and I'm like, this is going to inconvenience me. So it's like, it, it's it, it's hard. I've been on both sides of it, which is ironic because okay. I'm such an advocate for well-being. But they would say things like, you know, I need to, I can only work from... 7 30 to 3 30 still same amount of hours i just want to start finish early up and i was like no we can't do that and then another girl said that you know she she gets um quite overwhelmed or she's easily stressed and i said well you're in the wrong industry but she was asking you know on days like that or and she also got migraines when she gets stressed so she said on days like that i might need to take two three hours during the day to like you know to like feel better but I make up the hours at night and I was like that won't work all these things people come to me when they're in the hiring process especially younger people with kind of like conditions which do seem fair but you're also getting shut down for and I've been that person to shut down because it, it wouldn't make sense unfortunately but there's a happy medium that has to be weighed up between the two so it's really hard it's hard being an employer and also employing people and trying to keep a balance but yeah, it's, it, you make so many sacrifices in your work for for an organization that really, you know, of course they maybe care about you, but the purpose is what are you doing for the organization or their clients? Um, and one really interesting finding I came to when I stopped working is, you know, I, I would say that maybe I was a little bit burnt out, but I find it really hard to recognize burnout in myself and I very rarely get stressed. I, I have a very high tolerance for stress. And there used to be like a joke in my whole office, the day Eliza gets stressed is the day the, the organization burns down. Um, and I would always say, oh, I'm not stressed, I'm not stressed. But what was really interesting is that uh, a few weeks after I finished up at work, I found that my skin cleared up, like I kept having this recurrent acne, um, my skin cleared up, my body stopped aching, like all these physical ailments I had all of a sudden were just like stopping and healing. And then I got an appetite for breakfast and all these things it was so interesting to me. So I kind of realized that um, I think a lot of it was burnout. And then I no longer had that stress that I wasn't even recognizing was stress. All these amazing <laughs> things happened to me. Um, and I, I was reading about today um, how it can cause symptoms like IBS, um, anxiety obviously we know all of these things fatigue and i have a friend and she works in this industry and she has those recurrent ibs she has anxiety she's got depression and it just makes me think like what ha what would happen if if you left this industry or left your job or left that high stress environment altogether i can't help but wonder if if those would still be as prevalent for her because she is a slave to this job there's so much stress and so much pressure um, but, that... and it's interesting, like, are their expectations higher or are our tolerances for stress and pressure lower than yeah. what the generations above us were? Yeah, that's the, that seems to be the question. Um, yeah. I, I, I think what you touched on earlier, where if, uh, if, if this stress and this, you know, su suffering, so to speak, was at least fruitful in the, in, in that we could, uh, afford a much more comfortable life. Yeah. find uh houses easier then people would probably grit their teeth and bear it but yeah 
you can't even get to that point with half of these jobs and their salaries and house prices in certain cities. Now, this conversation always is far more tailored to people who live in the capitals, especially Sydney and Melbourne. Um, but it does seem to be becoming a, a more national issue than, than anything. And yeah. I mean, this was the article I was talking about. It wasn't even a million. It's Australia's. This was in October. And um, Australians to go beyond quiet quitting with 2 million set to leave jobs. Australians are fed up in the workplace, hit by burnout, and quiet quitting isn't enough. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Two million, like the great resignation. That's, that's <laughs> and that's gonna crazy. have, and yeah. then it's gonna it's gonna create, you know, a a, a flow on effect where these companies, I mean, big corporations will probably be fine, but these kind of medium level, smaller companies are gonna force the workers still on board to to work even harder and have to offer much higher salaries and perks, which they might not even be able to afford, and. A lot of small and medium businesses are just kind of hanging on. They're, they had to take up yeah. quite a lot of debt during COVID and there was some support from the government, but it's not as though the, the patrons just returned to normal. A lot of hospitality venues. I mean, even the the, the places I perform uh, shows at often, they've been sort of subtly hinting that things have been a lot worse financially post pandemic and post that second lockdown in particular. And then when it comes to live entertainment, I mean, what are, what's one of the first things people cut back on if their mortgage goes up, if the cost of living goes up, well, well I'm not going to go to that comedy show. And across yeah. the board, everyone had lower sales, everyone, except Luke yeah. Kidgel. But other than that, everyone, um, had much lower sales and I anticipated so many more as well last year, mm. uh, especially considering what they were like in 2021. They were huge mm. to the point where we just constantly had to keep mm. putting up the price and the, and the, uh, and, and, and the capacity. And then it just did a full 180 in 2022. Um, and yeah, yeah uh, and the sad thing is, is that when you're burnt out and stressed and things like that, that's what you need the most, but you're yeah. sacrificing those things for your job or for the financial aspect of it. But you're giving up on, you know, you're, you're too tired to socialize or you don't want to spend the money because of the impact. So it's the financial impact. So it's, you're sacrificing the very thing that might actually help you with burnout and stress, which is going out. And obviously laughing is one of the best things you can do dopamine and, things like that. And the other thing is when you touched on um, how it is kind of like a primarily or strongly associated with the capital cities and things like that. What was interesting is um, in my mother's group, so this is very like some, a single example, but uh, there is a woman online that was posting saying that she lives in regional Victoria and she can't get any jobs because everyone, um, from cities, even from Sydney and things like that, are leaving and going full rural, outback, <laughs> regional, um, and taking all the properties, taking the jobs. And then she said, um, and I've been complaining because I signed, I signed Remy up for a daycare. It was going to be at the end of 2022. And I signed him in when I was still pregnant. So maybe 14, 15 months in advance. 
and I've put them into onto six waiting lists and every single one of them have said you have there's no availability oh sorry I signed them up for 2023 this year um and everyone said you're on a wait list of 300 families there's going to be nothing until wow. 2024 at least well, that's and then this regional the woman that lives in regional Victoria said she's on the list for 30 different um um, daycare, some of which are like hours away, and there's a three-year waiting list. <laughs> it's just like trickle-down impact is crazy. So that's interesting because really not many people had kids in the uh, in the lockdowns. There was a huge drop in in the amount of people giving birth, mainly in 2020. Maybe that ticked back up right. again in 2022. But yeah. I, I mean, across the world, I, it makes it, it was a very insecure time for a lot of people. So. Uh, a lot of people would have put that off. Then again, people were yeah, a lot. Yeah. So, you know, what when else do you do? When the pandemic started, I hadn't even met Adrian. And now we have a, a house together and a baby. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Wow. That's true. That's yeah. So many people I know. We hadn't even started. We started this yeah. in the, in 2020, yeah. didn't we? That's how a lot. That three yeah. year period. I mean, it's not even fully over per yeah. se, but yeah. that does feel like a, a the three year COVID period. In history now yeah. that we all lived through and we all aged six to seven years <laughs> during it yeah so literally. what and a the, time the daycares i put him on told me if it's everyone from sydney's come up with their kids or have come up pregnant or or bought a house and then had a baby like me like everyone did it so that's why there's wait lists of 100 yeah. to 300 families Little so i stopped central coast baby boom <laughs> yeah so uh it's yeah it's pretty um Pretty scary, but well, yeah. start a start a daycare in the Central Coast. That sounds like there's a I've lot of demand there. Of it. There yeah. you go. Sell sell baby daycare. products, and I don't know if you purely just want to cash in on on whatever. But no, look, um, the the phenomenon of people moving to satellite cities is pretty interesting as well because there some would say it's it's some describe it as white flight as well because it's primarily white families that are moving yeah. outside from the capitals to these kind of regional places. And it yeah. just further, uh, it, it, it doesn't, it, it, uh, the, you know, the melting pot idea doesn't exactly manifest when there are enclaves of, uh, places that are one particular culture and then enclaves of, of places that are just completely new migrants. So something like 40% mm -hmm. of Sydney's residents have mm -hmm. moved here post the year 2000, which yes, is insane. Right, That's yeah. two and a half million or something mm -hmm. like that. And yeah. that includes a lot of people who have migrated out, right? Because it's not as though the population of Sydney has grown by 40% in that period. Uh, it's just that a lot of people have, well, what was the, one of the New South Wales labor leaders mentioned this and then he was, um, you know, castrated by the media because you can't say that sort of stuff, but it's true. It's not, no one wants to, uh, kind of admit it, but like, I'll go to these regional areas and, and it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's, uh, there's, there's just a notable difference in, in, uh, the makeup of ethnicity in regional Australia compared to urban Australia. And I wonder if there needs to be a different kind of migration policy where, you know, they, they aim to settle people. They, they have, they might have something like that where they aim to settle people in 
regional areas, but I don't know if it yeah, fully came say, to fruition. I'm they were, yeah. Or maybe they, they, yeah. Did. And and it could be a good thing if if it sort of drove house prices down and 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 yeah. you know congestion and traffic down in the capitals. But that's that hasn't happened. House prices in Sydney are the, pretty much the same, if not higher, than what they were pre-pandemic. And then in where you yeah. are, the Central Coast, they've they've doubled. So <laughs> a lot of it is just uh, a lot of high you know, net worth boomers buying more properties or just moving outside of the city uh, during the, the lockdowns. And then a lot of foreign investment as well. Um, a lot of foreign investors buying up high rises and just leaving them empty and, and just keeping it as more of a stock than anything else. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's it's... A, that's a huge issue, yeah. It's not, a, it's, Although, it's not um, ideal... I went to a house opening yesterday because I thought I found my dream house, a little farm, and there was like a thousand people there though. <laughs> and um, the real estate lady, because everything along this road basically was for sale, um, and I was like, why is everyone selling along here? Because I, I, I drive down this road every day. It's not like there's not like a development or something happening or flooding. And she said they were all um, international investors and now like the cost of keeping the house is too much so they want to offload it um which i thought was interesting and i heard that uh canada has just put a ban on international yeah. investors for a full i think a year which is um super interesting i think i wonder what how that's been received i have no idea but yeah there's maybe just that's something that we need to consider yeah there's too many social costs when you purely see housing as a as a commodity and nothing else yeah. and yeah you look at the population period of Australia, I just posted this on my Instagram, it's uh, a big chunk for, for us, basically, the people in their late 20s. And then as soon as you go uh, for people under 20, it just decreases dramatically. And a, a good mm -hmm. population curve should be in a pyramid or at least, you know, not, not invert inwards at any point. But mm -hmm. in Australia, it's getting to that point where it's inverting inwards entirely. And then there's also net, then... Uh, uh, the the need for more migration, which this is definitely a, a a quandary to talk about because historically it's always been perceived as a, a a racist sentiment to want to limit migration or to say that there are costs to migration. But I say this as a second, third generation migrant myself. Uh, that needs to change, and we have to have that conversation because. Yeah, of course, if you're bringing in more migrants, it's going to drive up the uh, price of everything, let alone housing. Um, and there are countries in Europe that have much more generous uh, government policies when it comes to, uh, you know, maternity leave, paternity leave and, and childcare yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And the left and the right political split is... is they differ on their uh, approaches to this. So a lot of people on the right tend to think this is a, this is more of a cultural issue. People are choosing to have a career more so than children, and and you know we need to instill the benefits of that traditional life rather than necessarily meddling with the economy. But then the evidence in Europe seems to uh, be in contradiction with. This is very short term, but Hungary went full. Uh, you know, po populist right, and they um, 
have a very popular leader there now who has mm. instated all sorts of Christian type laws and they've really wanted to turn around their fertility rates because this is, this is something that's going to hit Europe really hard in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years, particularly say Germany and Italy who have a huge chunk of their population pyramid that are in their 60s or so, 50s and 60s, and they're going to all retire. So it's going to leave a big hole in the economy because they're going to need benefits and then there's fewer workers to uh, pay for those. And so what Hungary did was just implement a lot of policies to try to incentivize women to, well, families to, well, couples, sorry, to have to become a family and to have and for women to have children and it turned it around a little bit i wouldn't say right. to a great degree and you know it still remains to be seen these are all very new policies uh but then the countries in europe with the highest fertility rates are the ones with the most that have implemented the most progressive policies in that regard it's yeah. it's it's france actually that still has yeah. and even then it's still below 2.1 but it has a fertility rate of 1.8 and they have very generous um, maternity, paternity leave, these sorts of things. And there's cost to that as well. Uh, a lot of employers just don't want to hire younger people in general because yeah. they know that they're likely going to take multiple years off to have children. But if you put ju yeah. the, the, uh, the, the short and medium term growth of the economy above all else, including, you know, sacrificing various uh, social comforts or uh, structures, then that is going to hit you in the long term economically anyway. So even if you're just looking at this economically, it makes sense to um, look at uh, different different things that can be done to, to help ease the pressure on uh, millennials and, and now Gen, Gen Z who are moving into their mid-20s. So true. Like in some countries, you get paid a full two years of maternity leave. <laughs> and in Australia, it depends on the organization. I got paid six weeks, which isn't great. Um, some get paid six months from their organization. So you never know. It's always a gamble. I feel like it would be more effective if there was a standard, although there is a government pay as well, which we're lucky. And that's only increasing, will be increasing as well. So that's good. But it's interesting about the France um, thing, because my, my mother-in-law is French and all of Adrian's cousins are French with kids and things like that. And they all say that it's really common there that you have your baby, you take six months off and everyone puts their babies on formula and goes back to work after six months. Um, Oh. I don't know if that was just her telling me that or their family. But, yeah, she was like, this is what the French do. Um, and I was like, I want to take at least 12 months off. And she was like, really? That's so long. And I was like, I thought that was, you know, stock standard to take a year off. Um, but now more and more every single day I see women post on this um, group I'm in. Everyone's already going back to work, if not already gone back, and their babies are three, four months old um because they can't afford to take the time off um yeah and that's some the people are saying are literally saying i wish i postponed my you know pregnancy or i wish i had babies later on so that i could have afforded to take a full year off um and, be, and spend time with my baby like it's so sad like you know to, to put him into childcare already and, and some moms are like fuck yeah like i can't wait i dread that i i 
been to, I think I said this in my in our first podcast, but I want to take like I want to be with Remy for two years if I can afford it uh, before putting him into childcare. So I would do anything at this point to do it. But who knows how I, I don't know if that would be a manageable goal. So we'll see. But yeah, it's it's a it, it's a serious thing that like it impacts, I guess, every aspect of life financially and also I think it's important to talk about just going back to just burnout and stress, the long-term impacts on your your health, that even when you leave a job, if you've experienced a significant prolonged exposure to stress, you have a higher, um, you know, rate of diabetes, uh, disease, um, it, all sorts of things, as well as a psychological impact that you can literally give yourself depression and anxiety. Um, the, the, the impacts of it are massive. You have more likely for heart disease as well. So um, I, I worked with a girl, I think this is a really good example of burnout. And we worked in a really high stress job when I was 22 at the time. So was she. And it was the job we worked at together. I don't want to give too many details, but it was crazy. It was working with young people. Um, and we were often in really, really violent, volatile situations with our clients um, that we were expected to just handle. And this girl I work with, she was the same age. She was quite like me in terms of like physicality, like what we look like, very similar body shapes, kind of like curvy. Um, and she both happy, healthy. She was really easygoing, bubbly, funny. And eventually she started getting really, really stressed from our job because this is that job I've talked about where, you know, I was held hostage and like we got attacked and all stalked all these things happening and she was really, really struggling to cope with what had happened to us and stresses and things like that. And we started a new year with this really so stupid to do this. I, I don't, I want to say the times are different. It was eight years ago or like six, seven years ago, mm -hmm. but um, we started the year saying, let's do a challenge where we all try to get healthy. And there was like six of us doing this or something. And we all try to lose three kilos in the next three months. I would never dream of even bringing this up in a workplace. It wasn't my idea, but I would never dream of it now. Um, Is that something, just just as a side note, like, yeah. like I say, I don't, I'm not in modern workplaces, but would yeah. that be now considered problematic to do That'd something? That would be a huge like HR issue. <laughs> HR got a hold of really? that. We'd be in heaps of trouble. You can't even talk about those things. Yeah, I can go into that afterwards if you want. Yeah. There's heaps of things that that comes up with. Um, so we were having a rant about like post Christmas weight gain or something like that. I don't know. So we all decided to go on this health kick, and of course, you know, three weeks later we all gave up. Um, except that one, that one girl, and she was saying, you know, she was really enjoying it because she can't control the level of stress in her life that comes on from this work but what she can control is her um you know what she eats mm. and she'd found almost like a a relief and to her it was a way to manage her stress was to control everything she ate so that she was there was one part of her life that had no chaos it was very planned out unfortunately it went really downhill really uh, really fast within a month four weeks, she'd lost 10 kilos. Um, Whoa. And at that point, 
she was looking kind of like she still looked like pretty like healthy because she started looking like me so she just looked like she was really slim all of a sudden um another month passed and she lost 22 and a half kilos and she kept going down and down and down so fast where she'd bring in lunch and it was spinach leaves literally spinach leaves with no dressing anything and she'd be like this is what i'm eating for lunch we'd go out for tea lunches she'd have a green tea those kind of things that like she developed a really serious um eating disorder and there was one time during that period where she crashed her car i think she had a client in the car as well a teenager and it was a really mild crash like she bumped up the back of someone and it was, everything was fine and i was a bit like mm. um but also it was a bit scary because the way that you know first of all she crashed her car and we, you know that happens um but then it happened a second time and she told me she passed out driving um over the spit bridge and it, which is in manly and um she had a second car crash and at this point this girl um she was literally skin and bones like she must have lost like over 30 kilos she and i and considering we were working with vulnerable teenage girls as well it was triggering to her clients and her clients were messaging me or texting me saying that as well um and she was so she became so overworked she would be constantly on her phone texting clients emailing working crazy crazy hours we worked the same job i was rocking up at nine o'clock in the morning and leaving at five o'clock every day every day i came she'd already been there for a couple of hours and she had left hours after me yet our performance is completely the same our workloads were completely the same it's just that she became so uh fixated on it so she became quite unwell and when she had her second car crash i actually told a manager um, or our boss saying i'm really really scared for this girl and this is what just happened today she passed out at the wheel and i think she's eaten in weeks obviously everyone already knew based on how she was looking um and she spiraled so so fast just long story short years later like i think like a year ago she messaged me so maybe six seven years had passed and she messaged me saying i still remember that you were the one that snitched on me about the car crash hope you're happy living your snug fucking little life like this huge abusive message um but which was what? i shouldn't be laughing about it it's kind of funny because i was like well she's really i didn't even know she was mad at it at the time um because work just addressed it with her and said we're really worried about you can we offer you psych psychological help can we pay for a psychologist those kind of things she still kept her job there they gave her like two months off paying her full time just so she can like get any support she needed and she knew i told them because i was the only one that knew about her car crash and she was just chatting me and being like oh i'm having a good time off doing daily walks along the beach, those kind of things. So it was interesting she held so much resentment so much later, but it was literally this whole thing. The moral of my really long tangent here, sorry, is that it was triggered by stress and burnout. And yeah. years later, my other coworker ran into her um, recently, still the same. Um, nothing like the girl we knew when we met her that was really like funny, easygoing, casual, you know, classic Northern Beaches girl, completely different person. Um, and, and still like had left multiple jobs with similar issues happening, just burnout because um, she hadn't learned to cope with it properly, which is really sad, but it's like, that's, that's the reality. People say, well, you know, when you work in this industry, that's to be expected. 
like you even not just for my industry working in social work or psychology but even in other industries like advertising and and business type roles like that's the hustle that's the that's the expectation that you're going to be stressed you're going to be overworked but it's such an unhealthy expectation that we are pushing ourselves and i was listening to a doctor i can't remember his name um and he's a psychiatrist but he was saying that the humans have not evolved to endure this much stress that is brought on purely from the corporate world we are not evolved enough to cope with these levels of like hours working and being on all the time like we just our, our psyche and our bodies cannot keep up with this level of stress which i think is so true and and accurate and i always talk about this book the body that can't no the body that says no or when the body says no it is such a good book and he talks about um i'm pretty sure it was I'm almost certain it was ms i haven't read this book in years but he talks about how he studied all these people that have ms and what he found that um all of them had a really happy friendly demeanor that was super passive as well and often found that during their childhood they got walked over and then in their early 20s hmm. they um had no boundaries they endured all these things like they not that they had trauma it was just that they had never said no and they were he said all these people are the nicest people i've ever met and they would say yes to anything you ask them and then in their 30s they started showing symptoms and then deteriorated really fast um and that's the premise of this whole book is about you know why are you making a sacrifice this big you're sacrificing your own life at points for an organization <laughs> but then again do you even have a choice yeah. in this kind of day and age you need to survive so it's a really um hard spot to be in well yeah it is it's really <laughs> difficult because if you don't do though what job isn't like that i mean there are certain jobs clearly that are, that that have a much higher rate of burnout and 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 danger uh but every job except funnily enough if you are a successful online personality that's probably the the most uh conducive to a good healthy uh, uh work-life balance having said that they're the people who seem to have the most issues with you know anxiety and stress because yeah, they, say, they can't look at, exactly like they they don't know yeah. how to not look at comments yeah. but yeah isn't that ironic um look mm. you got to do something that is that stress is a normal part of life there, there are going to be times in your life when you're stressed and feel burnt out but is it worth it and i think a lot of people are just saying it's not worth it for this monolithic organization that has no real values or ethics it's purely just exists to sell coca-cola whatever whatever it is yeah. now with your industry it is more meaningful i would assume it's a bit yeah. more meaningful in that you can probably uh push through a lot of burnout knowing that hey yeah. I'm, I'm literally gonna turn this child's life around even then yeah. there's a limit and people are human beings have a capacity to endure a lot of hardship and suffering if they believe in a cause and mm -hmm. this generation is just just no longer believes in in the cause of the grind now yeah. there's still a subculture yeah. of these hustle grind types but i think they're kind of mentally ill as well uh <laughs> when they get to that extreme level 
Yeah. I mean, it's good. You you should be hustling. Yeah, you should be good. Yeah, everyone should work hard. Of who does like? How do you need to be taught that? <laughs> Why do you need an influencer to say, "Oh, work hard"? Like, how do you not? You, didn't your parents tell you that anyway? Um, it just seems like a really stupid message to me. All these people like, make sure you work as hard as you can. Like, what? Did you not have parents? Like, I don't understand. Where does that come from? Like, people act like it's the most groundbreaking message these kind of like david goggins and gary v types when they're literally just telling you to work hard mm. well i don't it's see how that's hope yeah i know it gives you this idea that you're gonna if you do this you could be you could be rich things yeah. are gonna happen i used to when i would go on like runs or when i attempted to go on runs <laughs> listen to Tony Robbins and I'd come home and write like pages of things being so inspired and then the next day I'd forget about it and do it all over again it's the it's the prospect of hope and that's how so many people yeah. sell you on things it's like those you know people that are on um YouTube that sell their programs here's how you make money give me oh. dollars and I'll tell you how and then they that's how they make money. money from their own advice it's from that's selling their exactly that you're it's, buying that's into literally all it is yeah you, you're buying into them as a brand you're not buying into yeah. their advice their yeah. advice usually isn't that hard to find you can find it for free yeah. or in a 20 dollars book you don't need to buy these mm -hmm. 200 300 yeah. dollars courses about how to hustle and make a yeah. million dollars because it's all really simple stuff and often uh if you're going to be that if you want to be that level of successful one, you're probably going to have to have had endured some sort of trauma in your life to, to prove yourself to that degree. Or two, you just got to be hyper intelligent and so far on the, along the bell curve that, you know, you're, you're one in a thousand. And likely you have to have a combination of both. You got to have this hyper intelligence and this like insatiable urge to prove yourself, which isn't necessarily a good way of living because I know people like this. And there's a, there's a little bit of that in myself, not to the same degree as some of these other people. And you become hypercritical of yourself to the point where you're not actually living an enjoyable life anyway. Now, if that's for you, go for it. But I think a lot of people who look without, I know most people on the internet will say, if you just work hard enough, you can get to this point. You probably can't. Okay. You probably can't. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having just a, what people would call a normal job, with what people yeah. would call a normal life. In fact, that's usually where the happiest people are. It's ironically Obama of all people. Um, if you look at his speeches to black schools and the black community, he's always talking about like, hey, look, you, you might think you want to be the next rapper or the next NFL athlete. That's, it's likely not going to happen. It's better that you go to college and yeah. just get a, a, a safe job that will uh, help your children and, and your spouse live a fulfilling middle-class life. Now, yeah. that middle-class life is uh, the, the benefits of that do seem to be dwindling. So that's also, uh, yeah. you know, influencing a lot of people moving into these high-risk industries. Uh, and look, I did like I did that, sure. But I did. If you need like some course to make you think oh, I want to do this now, well, then you probably don't have the motivation, the, the like the level of motivation it takes to actually, you know, be at, at that level uh, in certain industries. You're not going to need uh, uh, some 
uh, guru or influencer to instill that in you. That would have just uh, naturally formed in you through through whatever experiences you may have had. And I don't know, it's maybe not the most, you know, empowering and positive message. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that don't be swindled by these types of people. There's there's so many that will sell their, you know, courses online or uh, they'll, for, call, you know, make you buy into what is essentially their wealth. The reason Andrew Tate has yeah. 34 Bugattis and is super rich is because there are all these people who have been swindled and are ironically doing the least masculine thing possible, basically venerating this other man and worshipping him and losing their own sense yeah. of manhood in it. And that's why he's super rich. So you got to think critically about yeah. these people who sell this dream of you can be this hustler that makes millions and millions of dollars yeah. because, look, chances are that's not going to happen. <laughs> so I think like in most aspects, a thousand percent, but I think when it comes to things, and I'm very biased, obviously, in saying this, um, but I think when it comes to things of of self-help and psychology, like if you see oh, a psychologist, yeah. a counsellor, a private counsellor, for example, without private health insurance can cost you $200, a relationship counsellor, a life coach, having a personal investment into yourself is so worth it. And for me, when I uh, last dislocated my shoulder, I don't know, like a year or two ago, and it was like the millionth time I've had a dislocation, and I went to a fitness coach and I'd had PT before, but I wanted someone that was like really thorough and I wanted to get healthy and I wanted to get good. And she, I paid her like, I don't know, three and a half thousand dollars or something ridiculous. And I was really like torn about it being like, I've just given someone money and she, she the support was good. And she kind of had this program. We had check-ins, but what was really like helpful was actually that the accountability that every single week I had to show her exactly the progress I had made. I had to show her with videos. This is what I could lift last week. This is what I can do this week. These are my measurements last week. This is what they are this week. And I know that if I had, I not actually invested it in that, I wouldn't have ever actually made any price. I wouldn't have done it. I would have just given up. So there is benefits to personal investment, but it would things like finances or MLMs and those kind of things or buy this course. You just have to be really um, cautious of it. And I find that online, there's so much about, you know, especially on TikTok. I don't know if it's just my for you page, right? I always see videos being like, you need a passive stream of income. Here's how you can sell a template onto Etsy and get sell it 30,000 times and people print it in their own computer. You don't have to do anything, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. there's someone else that kind of debunks it and says, actually, or I've seen two people, one that debunks it and another um, person, she goes and tries all these passive income streams and does it for like six months and says, this is what works. This is what doesn't work. And she found that she made, did all those Etsy things and literally made no money from it. Like it's just, and did the Amazon secondhand selling, like you buy something cheap and then sell it like a salt shaker for hire. She did all those things. And oh. she's like, it's never actually going to work out, but it just sets up this culture that you need this, you know, That's... passive income at all times. Yeah. And look, I uh, should reiterate that if it's, if we're talking about just self-help concepts and uh, effective psychology and personal training, those sorts of things are definitely worth the investment. I, I suppose I'm specifically talking about what you just mentioned, which is these yeah. kind of uh, finance get rich quick gurus who yeah. 
like you say, they they get rich because people buy into the fantasy of what they're selling, and that's how they get rich. You have to understand yeah. if you keep buying their courses, that's why they keep selling their courses. It's because that's their true passive income. All these people buying their recorded course, and then yeah, sure, maybe they're drop shipping something from Alibaba onto Amazon or whatever. And they they're not particularly intelligent or gifted people, and it's not it doesn't inspire me at least and and i just find that culture really um i just i just can't see how it's healthy for society at large when yeah you're not actually passionate about what you're doing you're purely just doing it to make as much money as you can and there are there are there's a range of passion that everyone has for their job Mm -hmm. but i'd much rather make um less money doing something i'm i'm really passionate about so long as I have my basic needs covered, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to doing something purely just for the for the money. Oh, look, there's a gap in the market for this. Go create a business on this. Like, I'd rather no. I don't want to do that because yeah. I I just can't see how that is fulfilling. And I think to a certain degree, some of these people have to. You have to delude yourself. You have to be chasing the dream of of money rather than the the dream of fulfillment. And you know, it's it's counterintuitive to a lot of the self-help in throughout history, which is more uh, has a spiritual and philosophical element to it. A lot of this sort of self-help is purely predicated on making it in the modern world, and some of it is effective, but it's going to be effective in in terms of like your long-term investing to ensure that you have a boon against, uh, you know. F- economic factors such as uh, that which we are experiencing now you know you can over the course of 30 years uh, if you invest wisely you'll you'll have two properties when you're 60 as opposed to one mm-hmm. it's we're talking about that level of wealth not mm-hmm. your multi-million dollar company kind of person who mm-hmm. more often than not they're psychopaths and they have yes. they've deluded themselves into thinking hey this product is better than everything else and as a result, that influences their marketing and the way they sell that, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And sure, maybe I'm just like saying this here from you know my one-bedroom apartment or whatever. But I just uh, every time I look at these sorts of guys that are clearly very inspiring to a lot of people, I, I really do scratch my head. That's all. I guess if it works as a placebo, if it if it gives you hope and if it gives you um, uh, you know, passion, then, then do it. Sure. But I, I just yeah, don't see how it. this is, uh, this is really, this just goes yeah. against a lot of the philosophical and religious teachings that we've all observed for yeah. literally thousands of years, which is that, Hey, look, there are things that are more important than wealth and, and money. And it's not to say you, you, you should avoid that and not look at, uh, savvy investing and, and, uh, wise, choices with your finances but just be very uh careful of falling into what is essentially a cult and 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 then i suppose yeah. that the the fact so many people are buying into this is is a product of the times it's that there's just no fulfillment left in modern yeah. western life it's it's purely what can i do for myself can i what can i consume today and i'm in a job that i hate yes. and then the 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 alternative is to be uh poor uh so what do i do it's a it's a pretty tough choice for everyone and 
as much as I, I, I profess the, the need for like individual action and taking accountability, there are a lot of systemic and structural factors at play here that I think we are to a degree allowed to just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, look, this, this is sort of the world that baby boomers and the generations before them created. Now it's still quite a good world compared to most worlds throughout history, yeah. but yeah. Um, it's very hard to have any faith in, in the, not even the traditional, the, the way, the, the, the way of doing things that our parents, uh, uh, live through. It's just very hard mm -hmm. to have faith in a lot of that right now. And to end on maybe more of a positive note, I think there's a really significant opportunity for our generation to define the values of the next era in history. Uh, it does seem like the post-war period is coming to somewhat of an end. A lot of the globalized networks of, of trade and uh, pa partnerships are crumbling and many economies are in a relatively precarious state and with fertility rates continually dwindling, uh, there is going to be, there are going to be shocks to the, to the system. Uh, and we get the opportunity to redefine what is meaningful in life. How do we actually run our countries whilst uh, maintaining the wisdom of the post-industrial age and looking to ameliorate some of the, uh, the, 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 the spiritual losses that we've endured. And that's something that I'm passionate about and kind of keeps me going right now, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, in, a, in, a, in this kind of short to medium term, highly stressful, nihilistic corporate world, I think in, on the horizon is a lot of opportunity and hopefully promise. Well said, well said, good point to end it on. All right. Well, I, I would normally say, let us know what you think in the comments, but we don't have, don't have any comments yeah, right now. I'm yeah. just thinking that. But, uh, you know, let, let us know on Discord. There was, there was a Discord. I don't know if anyone still uses that, but. Is, I want to know about this Discord. If people would actually comment on this, I would be so involved in that. I love. Well, there is a, there's a sex sales. I'm pretty sure there's a, because I set it up like a, <laughs> two years ago and then i just stopped looking at it after a few months so apologies to anyone who still is actually posting on it but um maybe i'll 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 just have a look at it and and i'll get back to you not not uh next week but the week after about what our discord is to d discuss things and uh you can always yeah, dm be, us if I'll we say there if it gets started yeah if we say something completely wrong then by all means please um yeah. email or message us uh and yeah. thanks for listening um, we will see you next week. <laughs>